0: So I'm going to set the scene really quickly. Uh, Luke, of course, is a third uh, gospel uh, detailing the life of Jesus. And Luke was a physician, so he's really meticulous about certain things. He has a lot of themes he likes to go back to. And one of the themes that he likes a lot is to tell uh, a lot of the stories between the awkwardness uh, between Jesus and the Pharisees. He has a lot of stories about awkward encounters between Jesus and the Pharisees. And this latest one, right, it tells a story of Jesus walking with his disciples in the grain field. And they take what it says is heads of grain and they kind of crush it together and they eat the kernels of it because they were hungry. And, of course, the Pharisees rebuked them and they asked this question, why are they doing, why are you guys doing what, what you're doing? This is unlawful. And when I first read it, it was kind of amusing to me. I mean, if you guys know me, you know, I don't really believe in... Um, plant-based diets, you know what I'm saying? Or salad, or vitamins, you know what I'm saying? I'm more like, I don't really believe in kernels of grain. I'm more like like Colonel Sanders, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm more like meat-based diet, right? That's pretty good, I thought. Huh? Maybe not. But, um, so for me, like, if, if I had seen the disciples like eating kernels of grain, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like if you see somebody eating a salad, like you're clearly going through a tough time right now. Right? I'm gonna leave you alone, right? But the Pharisees like, were, were nagging them, and they were bothering them, and were asking them this question. And so I was wondering, why is it that they can't even let these poor men eat grains of wheat, right? And it's because for the Pharisees and all these religious leaders, the Sabbath was a very, very, very serious thing. It took it very seriously. And before we judge them, I think it's actually important that we understand why they took it so seriously. And so yesterday I was actually reading Luke with some of the holiest members of my small group. We were reading it yesterday morning, and the question came up of, you know, where did the Sabbath and this idea of the Sabbath come from? Like, where did it originate? And we were kind of flipping through the Bible and researching stuff to kind of find where it started, and we found it starts in the beginning. In Genesis Chapter 2, verse 1 and 3, we see that it says that, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then again, if we fast forward in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8, this is God himself giving commandments to the people of Israel, and he says, remember the Sabbath. Remember it to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your works, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work your son or your daughter or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So before we judge the Pharisees about kind of how snooty they are, we have to recognize I'll give you some advice. If you hear a voice from heaven like they did that's telling you like sounds like thunder and it's telling you to do something, you should probably do it, right? And and that's literally what happened. God spoke and said, "Observe the Sabbath." And he took it seriously. So they took it very seriously. So in some sense they're justified when they ask Christ and his disciples, "Why are you doing what is unlawful. What is unlawful. And so based on this command we see that God, um, based on this command that God gives them, they themselves create very strict rules and regulations. They had a law regarding the Sabbath. Uh, They have the Jewish law called the Mishnah. It's an oral tradition of the Jewish law. You can study it right now and what we find in the Mishnah that there are 39 Specifically, 39 activities or categories of activities that Jewish leaders prohibited on the seventh day of the week. You can actually look it up on Wikipedia. It's really interesting. And as you can guess, this was a very difficult thing for them to do, to come up with this 39 exhaustive list of what they considered was work so you couldn't do. And this is based on God's command. And so they first asked themselves the question, How do we want to define work? That's the first question they were wrestling with. God told us in Exodus that we should not work. The rabbis asked themselves, how do we want to define work? And I was curious, if we had the same endeavor, like how would you define work? How how would you define that word? When you think of the Sabbath, when you kind of, you know, figure out like what that means to you, and you say, you know, I shouldn't be working, how do you define work? I think what you see is it will actually reveal a lot about how you treat sabbath and so for them they figured since the sabbath came from the beginning in genesis that they would study the literal word at sea in genesis on the six uh, days prior to god resting what was the work god was doing for the six days prior to him resting what did it look like you know what they came up with they decided that work is characterized by expending energy to create or have a creative process for the purpose of producing a specific, intentional outcome. Work was expending energy to create or to have a creative process to produce whatever goal or specific outcome that you desire. That's how they define work. And they would explain it in another way. They would say it's it's exercising authority or control over something that's been created. Like for them it was livestock or their fields like nature. Once again, for the purpose of producing a specific outcome. So this idea of creating or utilizing something that's been created in order to achieve a certain goal or produce a certain fruit or catalyze a certain change, usually for the betterment of society right? That's how they define work in Jewish law. I kind of like that definition. I I don't know about you guys, I kind of like that idea that work is us almost being co-creators with God. Like, that's what God did in the six days. He created, he was creative, made things out of nothing. And in a sense, it's like we are tasked also with being creators. I think even the most mundane things we do in our corporate office jobs can be a key cog in the overall production of something that can ultimately make the world a better place in the perfect world. I don't know. We all work in different places. But. And so I want us to remember first and foremost that work is a holy endeavor. It's a gift. It's the first gift that God gives Adam when he creates him. The privilege to partner with Him in working the field. So, when I have a sermon today that's supposed to talk about what the Sabbath says about our work, I cannot begin without helping us understand work is from God. And it's such a unique opportunity to do something that none of His creation other than us is able to do. God wants us to craft, to build, to produce. He wants us to be disciplined. He wants us to be diligent. He wants us to strive for the betterment of humanity and the midst of all that he wants us to stop. He wants us to create, produce, and then stop. Like that's, that's what the Sabbath is. He's like, you just stop. Like the Sabbath is saying work is good, work is from God, I'm going to stop doing it for this season at least, for this moment, this time. I'm going to stop being creative. I'm going to stop worrying about the betterment of humanity. I'm going to stop worrying about my goals. I'm going to stop worrying about what I could produce. I'm going to stop thinking about my KPIs. and the middle of all the things I have, I'm just going to stop. And for some of you, you're like, amen, praise the Lord. That's, this is a good sermon. I like it. I'm ready to go, right? But some of you, that is Very difficult to hear. And you might be like, is that even really the, the is God just saying we should stop? Brian said that this morning, he's going to say the word, we should just be lazy. And he was scared (laughs) to to say it. That there should be moments where you are unproductive. Where you might watch Netflix. God forbid. Curse word at our church almost, right? Facebook. You might go on ESPN. You might take a nap. And sure, you might take a moment to pause and thank God that he has given you these vessels of his grace to just, like, have fun and feel positive feelings. But you stop. Stop producing. Stop creating. That's what the Sabbath is. And it's hard for a lot of us, I think, because the reason is that there's always more work that can be done, right? There's always more work that can be done. There's always more things we can do. Always a new project, always a new deadline, always a new sermon I have to write, always a new small group hangout I have to go to or Grace will be met. You know, There's always more work that can be done. It's never quite done, never quite over. And this actually wouldn't be a bad thing that there's more work, that there's better ways we could continue to improve both our lives and the lives of the people around us. This wouldn't be such a bad thing if we didn't live in a society that tells you that your productivity is directly related to your value and worth. Like, it would actually be okay that we always have more work to do if our society did not instill in our hearts that what we produce ultimately determines how valuable we are as people. But that is our society. I don't think we've ever been in a culture in history and has idolized more efficiency and output as much as the one we are in right now. Yesterday I was with some uh, small group people and we were at this beloved couple's house with their little son and I was watching uh, TV and I was trying to focus, and, You know, Kanye West was on, I was trying to watch it and I hear this cheering all of a sudden. And so I look and they have their little son, their baby, and he's like on his uh, belly, on his like carpet and the two parents and Steve are watching this baby and just, like, cheering. And so naturally, I'm mean, like, this baby's doing an amazing thing. He must be doing an amazing thing. And so I look to see what this child is doing, and he's just, like, lifting his head up like this. And I was like, what are you guys cheering about? And like, he's raising his neck. And I was like, to, like, do a backflip or to, like, give a speech? Like, what do you mean he's raising? Like, he's raising his neck. And of course, Steve. You know, he's a doctor. He's like, David, you don't know how important it is for a baby to raise his neck. <laughs> I was like, I'm about to raise your neck, Steve. You keep talking to me like, but, but, right. And it was. I was honestly, I was amused by. I don't know. I don't, I don't know babies personally. I don't. Know the, you know. But I was amused by how much joy, right? This neck raising was giving everybody. Right? They were literally cheering, and people around me were starting to. And they started to cheer too. I was like, I'm the only one who's like. Not really that impressive, you know. And for me, what I, I had this moment where I was like, you know, I know this child's parents and they're great parents and they would love this child, whether he was raising his neck or his leg or not doing anything. Else. Like they would love this child unconditionally. But I thought about it. I said, you know, this is kind of a microcosm of what this child's whole life will be like. Like especially when he leaves his home outside of his parents' unconditional love. His whole life he will be applauded or not applauded by haters like me, right, for the things he produces or doesn't produce. And I just feel like, it's kind of an innocuous example, but everything in our lives is engineered to ascribe to us value based on what we can do. Like, this is the premise behind Likes and retweets and swipes—it's literally you producing something, and it's—it's it's not inherently a bad thing for someone to like what you do, or or to encourage you, or to, I guess, swipe right. Like it's not a bad thing inherently, but if we're being honest, it affects how we perceive how valuable we perceive we are. Like if we get an F. Or if we get fired, right, it reflects how valuable we think we are. And so we strive to not let the person kind of nipping at our heels take our jobs. Or We strive to not let that, you know, second person be a Victorian ahead of us. You know, I'm, I'm not sure for that, but people strive for that. Because if, God forbid, we were to ever lose our jobs, or to ever fail a class, or to ever not graduate, what does that say about us as human beings? And so for honest, if I were to ask you guys individually, just think about where you're at right now in your life. Are you happy? Like, are you satisfied? Are you content with where you are, who you are, what you've done up to this point? And there's chances that many of you are like, yeah, I am actually. But I think if I were to ask that, Ask why or why not. A lot of us it is based on what we have done or haven't done yet. And that's once again what drives us. That's our purpose. That's where we find our value. And so forever, if we were left to ourselves, we would forever toil in discontent. And so God says, dude, stop. Like, like, just take a moment to stop, it's okay, just pause. In this endless toil, just pause for a moment because this does not have to be what defines you as a person and that's the command of the Sabbath. I think it's important for us, like I said, like I started with to understand that the command originally came from God, it's a good command but it's equally integral to realize that the expression of that command was left to fallen human beings, or in this case, fallen men, right? The worst half of human beings, right? And in an effort to obey God's word, the Pharisees banned 39 categories of activities that they thought were work, too much work, too creative, exercise too much authority over nature. For example, Picking heads of grain. I think they knew to a degree, like I'm saying, I think they knew a little bit that, that you, know, you have to stop from work uh, because if you don't, then it'll become your idol and your identity. But, but I think like many of us, they failed to realize that simply stopping from work is not enough to break our tendency to depend on it as our ultimate source of purpose and identity. Something else has to happen to make our time off, our days off, actually rest. It's not, it's not enough just to not work. Something has to replace that as our ultimate identity. So what we see in Luke 6 is the answer to their question that Christ gives the Pharisees reveals that their very expression of God's law was causing them to be blind It's what the ultimate purpose of the law was to begin with. I want to go back to uh, verse 3 and see the words of Jesus. He says, have you never read what David did when all his companions were hungry? Uh, I think scholars know that this story he's about to tell is a reliable story because when they look at modern society, and they look at modern Davids, they recognize there's a disproportionate amount of hunger that Davids feel from the rest of society. Does that make sense? That was funny, man. That must not funny. I thought it was kind of. Funny. Fine, whatever. David was hungry, right? That's the point of verse three, okay? And he enters the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his. Companions, Jesus starts by saying, have you not read? How rude. Like he's talking to the Pharisees who probably memorized this passage. And he has the audacity to say to them, have you not read? And so he's saying that although you've heard it, like you ain't hearing it, you're missing the point. He, he picks a story about David, and he doesn't even specify if the story happens on the Sabbath. He just says David did something that was technically unlawful. Why? Because just like the disciples of Jesus, he was hungry and wanting to be satisfied. So I think part of what Jesus is saying, that the purpose of the law to begin with, like the reason God gave us the law, is ultimately so we would be satisfied. We would find joy. We would find hope. We would find peace and satisfaction. Like God's word and commands are not given with contempt to shackle us, but they're given with joy. God has a smile on his face when he gives us his commands because he imagines what it will be like for us if we actually obey them. He imagines the joy we would experience if we trusted him. And so the Pharisees are preoccupied with the command that they see in the beginning of Genesis 2, that they miss the heart behind the command given to them at the end of Genesis 1. What does it say in verse 31? God, after six days, God saw everything he did everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, on the sixth day. after six days of marvelous creation and creativity, after six days of endless work, good work, God steps back and he looks and he says, yeah, that's good, that's good. What we see uh, through this um, is that God was satisfied with his work. I I love, I mean, if you think about Genesis was written by Moses, right? And Moses was not there in creation. So how does Moses know the story? God himself had to tell Moses the story. God is narrating what he did. He said, I'm telling you, Moses, I did good work for six years days and you think God ran out of creative ideas like if we can make mythical creatures like you know like Pikachu and like you think God can't make detective Pikachu on his own like God's work was not done he could have done more work but he stepped back at a point and said I'm satisfied I'm content I don't have to keep going I love I can imagine like God explaining this to Moses, and Moses' mind, like not being able to grasp, and God being like, you don't understand, when I was there, I did work. More work could have been done, but I was satisfied with what had been done. And so I think um, that Jesus wanted to make it clear, whenever we are hungry, like David, like his disciples, whenever we're discontent, whenever we're unfulfilled, Whenever we are weary and heavy laden, the Lord desires for us to feel what he felt that day in creation. Satisfaction. And he wants to give us rest. And the ultimate purpose of the Sabbath, like we've been kind of trying to do today and show you, is not simply that you stop working, but it's that you find actual peace and rest in your non-work. I've taken days off. They're not always restful. Because I'm still thinking, like Chris said so well, you're still thinking. There's still an inner dialogue about all the things you have to do. And you're convinced that if you do not do those things, will you truly be accepted? Will you truly be valued? Will you still have your job? Will you be liked? And the Sabbath is trying to tell you something. that God ultimately wants you to be satisfied what's been done. For you to have a peace that surpasses what you could even understand. Like I know this is a tough sermon. Sir. Like I know Sabbath isn't something we do well, right? And so it's tough because there's times where it's like, this becomes another burden to you, another Christian practice you have to do. So I, I want to say like if you listen to James' sermon, you listen to my sermon, and you leave your burden, we have failed you guys. Because when it comes to the Sabbath, it's, not about being burdened. It's about being free to enjoy God exactly in the way he has made you to enjoy him. And that's how you should feel. leave with a freedom. Whenever you are hungry, God wants you to be satisfied. Christ is making it clear that humans, we weren't, we weren't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for us. It acts as a guardian, as a shadow of truth before Christ revealed to us, the ultimate truth. And I think we have many examples of this kind of idea where we have a law that seems like we should stick to it, but then it's more the heart of the law. I I thought of, uh, you know, if you're foreign like me, your parents maybe had a lot of weird slash strict rules. And so one my mom had was that I was not allowed to sleep over at anybody's house, like until like, I was like 21, you know? Like she was pretty like, you can't sleep over. And I got her reasoning, you know, that you know, some bad things could happen at night and that she wanted me to be saved and she always knows. You know, I, I understood the reasoning, right? But you can imagine the dilemma I was in. You know, some of you guys know, uh, last week Sung moved into my apartment. And the first night was tough for me because I was like, is this a sleepover? Does this count? Like, should I tell my mom, you know, that he's staying here? But I decided, you know, that I was okay with it. Why? Not because my mom's rules were inherently bad or should be disregarded, but because now I have other means to sufficiently protect myself, right, with wisdom and age. She knows I can be safe. And since that was her goal all along, I am no longer tied to the letter of the law. Because something has happened that set me free from it. And so I want to say this to you. This is my personal opinion. I don't think the Sabbath has to be a full day. I don't think you have to burden yourself with finding one full day to, like, have rest. If if it's truly about resting in the presence of God, can it happen kind of every day? Can it happen through listening to music at times, on your headphones? Can it happen through praying with your small group? Can it happen through watching something you enjoy? Can it happen through taking a nap? Is the letter of the law supposed to dictate how we Sabbath, or is the heart to see God what ultimately guides us? Just a question. So the last thing I want to deal with before we finish here is how through the Sabbath do we ultimately experience this rest I'm talking about? I talked a lot about work being our identity and the Sabbath wants to break that, but how do we replace it with joy, with peace, with satisfaction? When we look again at the passage that we read, I think uh, there's more to it in Luke 6 than first meets the eye. He says, did you not read what David did when his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what was lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. This verse doesn't do this part justice. Because that word consecrated bread is actually the bread of the presence. You read a lot of other... Virgin, that's what it says, the bread of the presence. It was consecrated, it was set apart because it symbolized the presence of God. So, what is David doing when he's hungry? He's not just eating bread, no, no, he's chasing after the presence of God. And suddenly, this whole Sabbath thing begins to make more sense. I think Christ is saying the Sabbath was not only given to combat our tendency to use productivity as the ultimate metric of our value and worth, but the Sabbath was also given to give us a new identity, a new benchmark, a new way to evaluate our lives. Do you guys remember the story when Christ sends out the 72 disciples? Remember that story? And they come back to him and they're joyful. Why were they joyful? Do you remember the story? What, what was the reason they were so happy? What did they say? Even the demons, right? So they said. Even the demons, man, were listening to us. We were casting out demons, right? I can imagine they had done miracles. So they were hyped at this. And what does Christ say to them? He's like, yeah, you know, I, I saw Satan fall down from heaven, right? Like, that's, that's nothing. I've given you all the power and authority then he rebukes them, doesn't he? He says, but don't be joyful about what you've produced. Don't be joyful about the work you've done. Isn't this crazy? If, if I stand, stood up here and started, right, like doing miracles, you'd be pretty happy, right? I'd be pretty happy too. Like it'd be crazy. And yet God's saying that's not why you should be content. That's not where your satisfaction. Even the greatest works will fall short. Where should you find your joy? Why did he say we should rejoice? Because her name is written in the book of heaven. That's what he says. Don't rejoice because of these works, rejoice because your name is written in the book of heaven. Christ is saying, Those who hunger and thirst, those who labor and are weary, those who are tired, can still rejoice when they crave the presence of God because he will all, because you will always find satisfaction when you understand that God sees you and he knows you and he longs to write your name in the book of heaven so that you will forever be with him that can be your new identity that literally as you sit here, God desires for you to be in his presence so even when all your work passes away, you'll have something to hope for. That's the new identity that Christ wants to give us through the Sabbath. Like I said, I was talking to Brian a lot this week about the sermon and one thing he said I really liked, he said, man, if you think about the Genesis passage again, Hey, the first six days, God creates all these things, including humankind. It's like, you know what I imagine God was doing on that seventh day? So I imagine he was just walking with Adam and Eve. And I loved that. That God on his he was just walking with Adam and Eve. That's my hope for you guys. That's my hope for you guys. That for you, that's what your Sabbath wouldn't be. It wouldn't be complicated. It wouldn't be all this pressure. It would be, I just want to walk with God and know that he desires to walk with me. David understood this. That's why he went for the presence of God. And so he rejoiced in his psalm that he knows that God is a shepherd. And he prepares a table before him even in the presence of his enemies, that he anoints his head with oil, so much so that his cup overflows, that surely goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life, and that he will dwell in the house of God forever. I wanna end with this and then we'll be done. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It means he is the creator, He has ultimate dominion over the world. So any unresolved issue should not result in our anxiety or stress. That's not all it means when he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It means he has done something unique. Tim Keller asked a question, you ever noticed that Jesus seemed so restless on the cross. Suddenly he was crying out to his father in pain and agony. And telling them that he thirsted. It seemed like he could not find peace. He said it's because Christ had to be restless. So that we now can have rest when we go to our Father. We can be sure when we cry out to him in thirst and pain. That we would find peace. And so I just want to say to you guys... And you can be satisfied in who you are and in the works of your hands because God is already satisfied with you. And even if you were to never, ever work again another moment in your life, because of what Christ has done, because of what he has produced on your behalf, he invites you to walk in his presence. And when you put your hope in the fact that you are beloved, son and daughter of God. You're going to find rest. You're going to find rest. I don't know what it is, right, for you um, that keeps you up at night, uh, makes you heavy laden or burdened. But I want to remind you again, you are the beloved son and daughter of God. God of the universe, who spoke the world in existence, has called you son and daughter. Who can take that away from us? Even if you don't do your project, who can take that away from us? Let's take a moment again. Maybe you can bow your heads with me Let's just thank him. Let's just thank God. We're here to celebrate and be joyful for what Christ has done for us. Let's just thank our Father. God would be restless so we could find rest.